0: Bonjour, bonjour, everyone, and welcome to the very first hot seat of Stand the Fuck Out. Um, I'm your host, Louis Grenier. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I've been sick of hearing about, you know, from experts telling you, we must stand out, you must stand out, you you must be different. They get, you know, your creative circuits firing. They make you believe that, yeah, absolutely, I must stand out. There's so much clutter online. Yet, I've yet to come across... Um, expert and people telling you exactly how to do it for your actual context, your actual company, the, the customers you have, and that's what I've kind of been starting to work on over the last few months. And I wanted to set that up today to to help all of you, uh, or as many as I can. The beautiful concept of hot seat is not uh, something I came up with. It's uh, my friend Hillary Wise who, who 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 talked about it a lot. And the good thing about it is that even though you're not necessarily on the spotlight, it's not necessarily your challenge that you've submitted, you will get value, you will hear problems from others, and this will help you as well. So that's the nice thing about it. The other thing is, I've picked, and I've lied to you, I haven't picked five submissions, I've picked 9 I picked nine submissions, because I wanted to cover as much ground as possible, and I've picked those submissions so they fit in a tiny little theme, and everything together just should, should fit nicely into each other. So even if I haven't selected your submission, even if I haven't necessarily, you haven't submitted anything, I hope that uh, this session will help you. Um, so before the house rules, just a few minutes, um, I'll explain a few things uh, related to the way it's going to work. I want to, to talk to you briefly about my program, uh, Stand the Fuck Out which is an eight-week program that I set up uh, a few months ago. I did the first early access for 14 people recently. And the second cohort is opening next Monday, February 1st. Applications open February 1st. So I know that a lot of you are already in the waiting list. Thank you. If you're not on the waiting list, if you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, I'm just going to put the address uh, of the the program in the chat. um, And I also send it over email after that. The reason why I'm talking to you about this today, right now, is because um, and I'm trying to find a way to send it to all of you. I send it to you over email. Or if someone has it, can put it in the in the chat, you can put it to everyone. I can't seem to only be able to to send people. Ah, there you go, everyone. Poof. Okay. And This is what you're seeing right now. This kind of group coaching is what we are doing every week with standoff accounts, and it's very much more in-depth because it's limited to 20 people. So people who want to make uh, their business radically stand out, make their product or service radically stand out. So this is a little taste of what it is. If you have any questions whatsoever, you have my email. I've sent you an email about this. You can reply directly to the email. Again, I'll send you an email after that with the recording, and you can ask any question you may want. Um, So again, applications open. February 1st, and it's called Stand Up, Fuck Out. On the topic of profanity, I might curse and say a few curse words. So if you have kids around and it's in loudspeaker, uh, I'm, I'm sorry in advance. If you don't like profanity, you're welcome to leave. Uh, if you do love pro- profanity or if you don't mind it, you're welcome to stay. Um, it's the way it is. So a few other rules. Uh, mute yourself, please. I think you've all doing that. You all we're all used to that. Uh, profanity is gonna happen. Some way she perform. Um, we're gonna cover nine questions. Eight minutes per question. And I'm gonna have a timer next to me. There'll be a first ring at six minutes in, and then eight minutes in. Okay. So we need to be respectful of everyone's time and be able to move fast between each uh, challenge without going too fast. Um, I won't be that active on the chat. I won't be able to necessarily look at every question you have during the the session. So if you have a question, let's wait until the end after we've reviewed the nine topics, and I'll be able to to look at them. Um, I'll keep the Q&A to a minimum, because I'm trying to cover as many topics as possible before that. And I will answer your questions if you have any over email. You can reply to my uh, to the email. Send you an email after this session. I'm available to help you. And obviously, the recording will be available tomorrow in your inbox, as well as as a bonus podcast episode. So you can re-listen to it as many times as you want when you're walking your dog or um, you know cooking for your family or whatnot. So let's do this. The first person, the first maverick, the first risk taker, the first person who was courageous enough to submit the application is Alex Jude. Alex, you work for a tech PR agency. Uh, Can you unmute yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, and the challenge, the specific challenge you have? And I'm going to start the timer now.
1: Yeah, of course. So, yeah, my name's Alex Judd. Um, recently joined as head of impact and planning at um, yeah, it's a tech PR agency, both B two C and B two B. So it's all about proving, getting a more strategic approach to PR, and also proving that impact as well. And I think the biggest barrier to what I do and just the PR ag- PR industry in general is that the whether the CMO is our client, which, which is quite unlikely, is usually like a PR manager. The CMO just doesn't really care about PR, and PR isn't just media relations anymore. You know, it's not just speaking to journalists. We we do, uh, you know, pretty much anything under the under the sun of marketing. Um, I truly believe that PR has the ability because it's much more censored on people and you can't just typically buy the space you know see so the that space through journalists that we can deliver more powerful messaging that we can um really kind of lead that marketing strategy however undeservedly so you know PR's got a really bad rap for just being absolutely full of bullshit probably even <laughs> more so than kind of marketing in general so my challenge is how do we you know, radically stand out to the CMO and be recognized as actually you know, serious strategic players in the business and marketing.
0: Uh, thanks, Alex. And thanks for, for so succinctly explaining your problem and, and, and what you're doing. So thank you. And for being the first as well. So I think one of the wrong solutions would be to be kind of hell-bent in trying you, trying to change their mind and say, hey, CMO, I love digital PR and PR so much. You must listen to me. You must agree with my views, right? I think this is probably one of the toughest, if not the toughest thing a marketer, creator, and entrepreneur can do is try to change people's minds. Almost impossible. So, uh, in fact, the more you're going to go forcefully and tell a CMO, you must agree with me, the more they're actually going to take the other way around. That's what humans do. We like to, to, to have confirmation bias and like, stick to our gowns. Uh, The other wrong solution that I could see here is that you fall too much in love with the solution, which is PR, and not enough in love with the problem you're actually solving, the pain you're solving for the specific people, right? And look, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying this is a risk, and I see that a lot. I fall into that so many times as well. So here's my advice. You need to give them what they want, and then you give them what they need. It's like the the Trojan horse strategy. Yes, you must sometimes give them something that you don't necessarily agree with because that's what they want. And then slowly introducing something else that is actually what what they actually need. And that's a subtle difference, but it's major in marketing. So my advice to you would be to obsess over those CMOs, your target market, to understand of the folks who actually have bought from you recently, are those, like, why did they buy from you? What do they believe that you believe? And I wouldn't try to chase people who don't necessarily believe what you believe. I would chase people who already believe what you believe. I would chase people who believe that PR is one of the way they're going to get what they want. Trying to convince folks who don't agree with you is a long-term game, and I'm going to give you a few pointers there to make that happen, but that's not going to generate anything in the short term. Definitely not, right? So my advice would be to look back at those people that bought from you recently and think about, okay, what is the actual pain, the bleeding neck problem that we solve for them? And I'm talking about bleeding neck because it's not just a tiny little problem, like a tiny little bruise on your arm. It's actually something urgent that they must solve to reach the objective. It's part of their plan. They have money to solve that problem. This is the people you want to, to go after. And I would get away from the definition of CMO and think more about the pain that you're actually solving. And I know this is kind of a cliche. Everyone says that, but that's actually the way to forget about PR for a second and think about, hey, wait a second. What does those customers have in common? What is it? What is the thread that unites them all? And usually it's always the same. It's a pain. It's a, it's a something that they want to solve. So if you, if you, if you merge that with the, the Trojan horse kind of strategy, giving them what they want first, you might find out that there is a few problems that you can solve pretty quickly using PR that is actually very much in line with what they want. And it might not, the, it might not be the sexiest problem, might not be the problem you love the most, but that doesn't matter. What matters is them, what they are thinking. So um, I'm going to stop here, and then uh, I can give you a few pointers about the longer-term uh, game. Let me know if it makes sense so far.
1: Yeah, it all makes sense. And I, th- I think it's a very good point to, you're right in a sense that now I think about how I frame that problem, I immediately jump to change people's minds. Um, so it's a very good point to kind of, you know, strip it all the way back to that problem. And also, I think when you talk about what those customers have in common, typically it would either be uh, ego you know, it, it would be that the CEO wants to be on TechCrunch, for example, you know, mm-hmm. all his mates read TechCrunch so or her mates um, read, read TechCrunch and so they want to be there too. Or it's a big crisis. It's, you know, there's, there's some, there's something either it's looming or it's happening right now. And there's a shit storm going on and it needs to be managed.
0: So that's six minutes and we have two okay. more minutes. Okay, so that's very interesting. And so what I would try to do here is how do you reach out to folks who have a crisis and how do they find you? That's the bleeding neck, right? You don't need to convince them about anything. That's what they want right now. They want to solve that crisis. And, and, just, and what they want is uh, to, to solve it right now. And then you can build a longer term relationship with them once they're there. So I wouldn't try necessarily in the short term if you want to generate sales. I would try to be where they are, those people. They believe that PR can help them solve a very specific problem, and you have mm-hmm. it. If you mix ego and if you mix a crisis happening, I think you have something that is quite, quote-unquote, easy. You don't mm-hmm. have to convince people to buy from you. You just need to be where those people are. So for the longer term, I would go at it from an oblique uh, direction. You can't go directly at people and say PR is, is the, right, the right way to go, but you can go at it in an oblique way by touching on the subject without trying to convince them heads on. So show proof that it works, show proof of people who used to believe certain things and then now believe something else. Um, use authority, uh, quote-unquote influencers and experts who talk about it, um, and be willing to change your product and offer to match what they want. Again, it's not about you. It's about your market. And by repeating that over and over again for a long period of time, probably six months plus, you're gonna start seeing stuff happening of people who say, Hey, I used to believe that. And now, thanks to you, I believe this, right? But that's not as instant as as we wish. Things take time, period, especially in marketing. Um, quick example, Southwest Airlines in the 70s had a huge reputation problem. Instead of going at it on a very direct way and saying you must believe us, they went at it with doing ads with classical <coughs> eight minutes, with classical music to to basically infer the fact that they are very they are classy, they are they're not cheap. And that actually worked. It took years, but that's going at it on an oblique way is usually a good way to go as well. So that's what I had for you, Alex. Is, was that helpful?
1: Yeah, that was helpful. Thank you. I think you're right in the sense of there's a couple of thought leadership, you know, more kind of academics sort of thought leadership pieces we wanted to do around proving the real impact of, of, of PR. And I think you're right in framing that in that initial customer problem, particularly potentially how something like how fame um, drives that is a real interest. So, yeah, that's really
0: helped guide me, Louis. Thank you. Thanks, man. And, and thanks for being first. And thanks for submitting what <laughs> oh, you yeah. submitted. Very interesting. So I wanted to start with that problem that Alex mentioned, because, yeah, I wanted to introduce the very big problem of marketing, which is this. We can't really change people's minds. We can only like, be there where people are actually seeking to change and the people who believe what we believe. So I'll go deeper into this minimum viable audience, minimum viable market idea over the course of this call, you'll see there's a few more people who have a similar problem. And hopefully, Alex and and the others, you'll be able to pick up on more stuff. So second submission comes from Lucas Fabic, who's the CMO slash co-founder of of hardware.io. Are you here, Lucas?
2: Yes, I am. Hi, Louis. Hey. Hello, everyone.
0: So tell us more about uh, who you are, what you do, and the specific challenge that you have, please.
2: So, as you mentioned, I'm CM of Harvario. Uh, we are a chicken-based company, and we focus on designing and manufacturing IoT devices, which we install with our partners in various industries uh, to digitize them. For example, we digitize uh, scaling systems. We also digitize uh, agriculture and ATC. We have a very, very wide um, number of uh, big number of, of industries we can we can digitize with our devices so we, we are not in specific uh, industry market uh, and my challenge is uh, to define specific steps to find new partners in these in these uh, industries and can partners from different industries or in the same industries as we digitize them in Czech Republic or different countries uh, in other countries.
0: Nice. Thank you. Uh, so yes, you have this, you're, in my own words, you, you, you sell those uh, Internet of Things devices, right? That's all specific yes. problems. And you, the problem that you have is that you sell those on a, very, a lot of different industries and sectors, and it seems like, fuck, how do, where do I start? This doesn't seem to be a thread between all of those people. It means we have so many segments, and you probably feel a bit overwhelmed, you don't know where to go first.
2: Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah. All right. Yeah. So the wrong solution, and again, I don't blame you, I'm just saying in general, the wrong solution for that type of crime would be to think that you do indeed have too many segments. That's not really true, I'll tell you why. Uh, another wrong solution would be to obsess over a demographic or firmographic elements to say, well, we must pick an industry, we must pick a specific role um, to have a particular segment that we can go after, a minimum viable market, right? Um, again, that's not really it. Um, You might be angry about this problem for a while, you might stay in your own head, and that's also the wrong solution, but I know you're not doing this because you're reaching out, which is fantastic. And then there's another problem that could arise with this, is switching back and forth between markets, and I see that a lot, where you pick one, and then you're not too sure, you don't really like it, so you pick another one, and it's like snip, snap, snip, snap. I don't know if uh, some of you are a fan of The Office. Uh, There's this scene with, anyway, Michael Scott does Anyway, so that's basically what people sometimes feel like. And again, that's not the right solution. So let me give you the right solution. What I would advise you to do, and again, that's going to be recorded. You don't have to take notes. Um, Look, Make a list of all your customers that you have had, recent customers in particular, and sort them out by using four parameters. One is joy. Do you like working with this, this person or this company? Does it give you energy or do they drain your energy? We all have those clients that are actually you know, burning our energy more than they give us. Joy is super important, because you are the founder. You want to stay there for the long run. If't if you only look at your clients at past clients in terms of money made, you're going to miss the mark. Uh, I've made that mistake before, so that's what I'm telling you. Uh, second, profitability. Not only in terms of money, but time spent. Do they give you know is the, the return investment positive compared to the energy, the money and everything that you put into it? Three is access. When it comes to people who match the description, do you have access to more of them? Meaning, do you know a lot of people in the automobile industry? Do you know a lot of people who are CMOS? You know, is it easy for you to go to a group on Facebook or LinkedIn and say, "Hey, friends, you know, uh, here is another product." Is it easy for you to like? I don't know. Do you have a podcast with this audience already? A newsletter? That's super important because when you go to market, when you want to attract more people. That's also another one. And then finally, do they have a bleeding neck problem? Right? Out of the clients that you have, who are the ones who couldn't wait to pay for your solution because they had such an important problem? They, they just couldn't wait. They had to pick something. And by, I, I think unconsciously, you will know those people when you look back at your spreadsheet that you're putting together. So that's the first step. Second step talk to those people. Remove your sales person hat, put your journalist hat. And try to understand and look back at the story between you and them, meaning you ask them, take me back to the very first time you thought about potentially hiring a solution like ours. What happened? What was the trigger? And I visualize it to be some sort of a checkpoint, like with many, a road with many checkpoints, where you basically try to map out the journey that they took before buying from you, the decision that they took. So you want to ask, what was the trigger? You want to ask what research they made. You know, do they look at other competitors or was it just you? Did they look at competitive alternatives, meaning not direct competitors, but did they think about maybe doing it themselves? Did they think about hiring an intern to do it? Did they think about you know, hiring an agency? I don't know. They'll tell you. And then ask them, what's the one thing that made you confident to go with us and not someone else? And my favorite question that no one talks about, I love this one. What cliche... You know, Do you hate the most in our industry or in the type of stuff that we do or the type of people that you work with? What, what is the thing that you hate the most when working with your type of company? That's going to give you a lot of ideas. So once you have those two, you're going to start seeing threads, guaranteed. There is always a thread, and this is the name of the game. You need to use your brain. The human brain is beautiful at this, very good at this, which is to, to see patterns, to identify patterns, a pain that is in common. Something that like unites them all. And that's the core of it. So then you're going to have people who want X because they need to solve X. That's your core segment. And maybe you're going to have only 30% of people who fit that profile customers. But those people are going to be the core of the people who give you the most joy, who spend the most money with you, who recommend you the most. Those should be the people you, you seek to serve the most. And... Six minutes. And the other thing is once you have that, then look at the type of companies, industries, filmographic, whatever it is, who do tend to have, who then, who, then, who then tend to fit the description above, meaning they suffer from this, they want that. Who are the type of people who tend to want those things? You see? So it's the other way around. Again. It's a subtle difference, but it's a massive difference. You don't obsess over firmographic and demographics. You obsess over what they want to do, and then you find a group of people who, 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 who are part of the same group who desperately want this. Quick example, um, I interviewed someone on the podcast recently who said that they had an accounting software. They were struggling to find the right segment because they had the same problem than you. They found out that the ones who couldn't wait to buy from them and really loved them were SMBs, who were afraid to go to jail because they failed to submit if they failed to submit the tax information and those people didn't have an accounting team and you see accounting teams would relieve that pain so the ones the segment that really that jumped out when they talked to them was those this segment and you can see the power of this as soon as you switch from this point of view it becomes quote unquote easy to target them and for to have campaign ideas and whatnot so this is the kind of thinking that I would really recommend you to use. And again, the truth is not in your head. The truth lies in your market's head. And if you do it this way, I would I, I would suspect that it would work and you're going to start finding some interesting segments. Does it make sense?
2: Yeah, of course. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Any... Think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just thinking about it and understand it well. It's about... Uh, Find a joy, have access to them, find a pain who they, what they are trying to solve, and have enough market to make a profit yeah.
0: and so that's going to take some guts to do it's not easy because it means saying no to some, but excellence in any extremes always imply a trade off right you're going to have to to really focus on one particular segment uh, because you're going to be seen as an expert and you need to think about. What are you going to miss, miss out on if you don't specialize and if you don't go further? Because your product, Internet of Things, that's what it is. It's the solution. Uh, just like Alex's PR, it's a solution to a problem. What if IoT doesn't exist? What would they use, right? And they will still have this problem. And so that's the way to flip it and to really put the attention back on um, on your market. Thank you, You're welcome, buddy. All righty. Going to take a sip of tea just to chill a bit. Everyone should do this. I don't know what time it is, but where you are. Michael is doing it. Thank you, Michael. (laughs) All right, Nate. Nate Reader, if I'm not um, pronouncing your name badly, can you unmute yourself? And tell us uh, who you are, what you do, and the specific challenge that you have today. And I'm very excited for, for yours because it's very interesting.
3: Nice. Thanks. Um, so, bonjour. Um, bonjour. I'm Nate Ritter, uh, technical entrepreneur. Um, my kind of like uh, five minutes of fame was that I popularized the hashtag. Uh, but generally speaking, I'm a chief technology officer for a brokerage company for hotels we work with events um, like Formula One and uh, festivals like Lollapalooza and things like that in the United States. Um, So what I do is I've created a side company um, and and we've started a business which offers uh, travelers a wholesale rate uh, at the hotel. And uh, this is a rate that that people don't really understand that exists, um, that they have access to, but most people are kind of afraid to kind of take the one leap, which is just having a login somewhere that gives them this access. And also most places that offer wholesale rates um, also add on their commission or or margin to the hotels. So we don't do that. We've, uh, we're no commission, no margin. And we're fully transparent on what the the actual wholesale rate is. And we offer an annual subscription um, instead. uh, And it's after you pay the annual subscription, it's all you can eat or book uh, for that year. Um, we have a Chrome extension uh, because most of our early customers who used our booking engine was, were using Chrome. So we use that, uh, and it does two things for us. And the first thing it does is it reduces friction for onboarding by utilizing like social logins um so people were really hesitant to say you know sign up with a username and a password so we just said well why not so- use a social login and they just came in droves so mm-hmm. well no difference for, from our point of view um but that is required for us we can't publicize wholesale rates because of industry agreements for this type of inventory so we need to have a login so we reduced the friction with that but the second thing it did is it gave us the ability to um uh when the user is searching for rooms over um, booking.com, Expedia, Google Hotels, Hotels.com, any of those sites and all of their country-specific ones, uh, we pop over a small notification window, and when we find the cheaper, a fee- cheaper rate, a wholesale rate, which doesn't always exist, but when it does, we pop over and say, you can book that price on our site. Um, the purchasing is gated by the annual fee, um, but you can see the rates for free. So you just log in and download the extension and use it, and as you browse around, it pops open.
0: So I'm going to stop you right there because you sure. need to be mindful of the time. Yes. Uh, Amazing idea. Uh, So roomsteals.com, right? Uh, If anyone wants to check that out. Uh, It's a great idea in in order to save a lot of money on travel. And what you want is a very sniper go-to-market. You don't want this... Bullshit of, oh, you need to test all the channels and every single channel is possible so that you might find one that fits you and you might find customers. I agree with you. You mentioned that in your application and I very much agree with that. This is bullshit. I hate this advice. This is useless. And I'm going to give you a much better way uh, to do it. You don't want to target everyone who just loves hotel rooms and goes to hotels. That's not the way to go. Right. And you can't expect people to trust you the first time they hear from you. You can't expect people to trust you when they go on your website. Um, so, same as before, same as the last uh, two uh, submissions and two answers. I would obsess over your market. I would look back at the people who actually paid for it, if you have any. Um, and I would talk to them, remove your sales uh, person hat on, and, and put your journalist hat on and i would really just spend the time to to soak it in and, and understand what do they have in common all of those people because i can sense that people that you seek to serve are not just infrequent travelers who, who travel once every year they're not just people who go on holidays and, and that's a, like you need people who really have a pain which is i want to save a lot of money on my hotel rooms because i spend so much every year who are those people are they business travelers Is there actually companies who spend so much on fucking hotel rooms every year for their their, uh, people that they have to save tens of thousands? Who is so much in pain that they can't wait for your solution? This is your minimum viable market. Again, I can't guess that for you. I'm not going to have the pretension to tell you this is it. You're going to have to find out yourself and take the time to talk to those people. If you don't have customers yet, try to talk to people who are very close to becoming customers or Customers of solutions that are very similar than yours. trying to find, making hypotheses, trying to find people who tend to suffer from those problems, you know based on the hypothesis you're going to make, right? Um, so that's the number one thing. And I would ask them the same question I mentioned before. I would ask more stuff. Who influenced them? What type of people do they look up to? I'm not talking about the bullshit Instagram influencer stuff. I'm talking about genuinely people who influence them on newspapers or podcasts. Or YouTube channels, or whatever that they are paying attention to. Um, and I would try again to find patterns, right? Again, this is why I hate this like test everything bullshit approach of go to market, because the answer lies within your market. They will tell you where they spend their time, they will tell you who they pay attention to, they will tell you the last time they purchased uh, a hotel room, exactly the process they took. I searched on Google. I went to Trivago because I remember Trivago. They have so many fucking TV ads uh, that they're everywhere. I click, you know, that's what you need to hear, and then you're gonna find, and you're gonna pick three uh, between three lanes. There isn't 19 channels. There is basically three. It's either performance, which is basically paid ads, it's content, or it's virality. And when you start, it's either one of those. Meaning. Can you uh, find uh, you know, a way to uh, cheaply acquire people through paid ads when they're searching maybe for Trivago and be there in the second position or whatever you bid so that you, know, you say, hey, you're going to be ripped off by, by Trivago. Um, is it content? You know, I, I, one of those three. It's going to be one of those three. Or is it the product itself that brings more people because maybe they can pay less than $59 a, a year by referring 10 others or whatever it is, right? So those are the three kind of uh, mechanisms. And the other uh, six minutes, the other thing about proof is don't assume your scale. So show it. Show testimonials and don't show bullshit two line testimonials. Show massive testimonials. Show video testimonials. Show like true, authentic, non scripted reviews from people who, who, who love what you do. And again, from the people that you interviewed, from the people that the, the minimum level market that you seek to serve. Um, the design is very also important, right? People perceive design uh, in some way, shape, or form. So again, I can't guess that for you. I would show your website to people who fit roughly your market and just ask for their unfiltered opinion and fucking go at it. What do you hate? What do you like? I personally, seen your website, I have a few things to say, but I'm probably not on your target market. And you know, I don't have the pretension to tell you this is how you should, you should change things, however your market will. So don't guess, lean on your market, they have the answer. This is the beauty of marketing, right? Um, and authority as well is important with um, using quote-unquote influencers or experts or people that uh, tend to influence them and whatnot. So to go back to the initial question, uh, you've used, I think a, 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 you've been featured in a site and brought you a few user. I can suspect that you, there, is, there might be better ways for you, but again, it's probably, you're gonna unlock that knowledge by talking to as many people as you can. And you're gonna have to be rootless. You're gonna have to really pick a tiny portion of the audience to start with, and then you can expand later. But focus on a small thing first. It's, it's called the bowling pin strategy, right? Um, quick example, and then I'll shut up. Um, this microphone is a Shure uh, M71B or whatever the fuck. Uh, the reason why about it is because I wanted to have a, a more of a radio voice. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And because i listen listened to like Joe Rogan or whatever. I'm like, how the fuck do they have, uh, they have such a nice voice? And like, I have this like more high pitch and whatever. And so I've used that and it seems to work a bit. But again, this is kind of the, the thing that happened is, is they should market this microphone for people who want to have a, loud, uh, a, a more uh, a lower voice because I know a lot of people who buy it for the same reason. And so they should obsess over that group. That group will buy... And yes, they might tend to be podcasters. Yes, they might tend to be professional YouTube creators. But the overarching problem is this one. And again, I didn't guess that. That's just from my own experience thinking about this. So was that helpful?
3: Yes, because that's uh, you basically tapped into I mean, the thing is that we don't have a bleeding neck problem here, right? Like in the sense of general travel. And so we're trying to figure out like where where is that um, yeah. and who has that problem. And I think that's... I've been resisting going towards the small businesses um, just because I feel like they're going to have like a different request, but the, the people who have been using the site the most have been small businesses that need to travel. And so they're getting the most value out of it for sure, without a doubt.
0: So then maybe it's not the funniest for you to start with, but maybe that's the right first group. And then once you have enough capital and you can play with things a bit more, then offer something for everyone. And again, you, obviously you know that, you need to be mindful of, of what's happening right now and the trends, and like travel is a bit of a fucking crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know that. I'm gonna make sure <laughs> that. Um, and congrats on uh, making the hashtag popular, whatever the fuck. Like, that's, <laughs>
3: yeah that's, And also, I'm sorry to everybody. so <laughs> yeah, listen, It's a tool It's, <laughs> it's, like cool and it's,
0: it's yeah. a tool. And some people yeah. use it badly, Some people use it well. Um so thank you um for for submitting this. I yeah, I, I very much enjoy what you said about uh, the, the the fucking test everything bullshit. I agree with you. So thank you, uh Nate. You. And um let's welcome our fourth Maverick risk taker who's willing to be uh, roasted, no not roasted at all. Amelie Berens, are you here? I know you're here, I've seen you before. Can yeah. you unmute I'm yourself? Please? Hello. Hi. Um Please unmute yourself. You're already unmuted. Uh, tell yeah. us w- who you are, what you do, and the specific challenge that you like right. to solve. Please.
4: So I'm from Belgium. I'm a uh, customer experience consultant. It's been ten years. I'm in the industry, uh, digital industry. So um, I'm not doing customer experience at the beginning, but let's say that I evolved to to uh, to there. I'm very passionate about my work. And that's why one year ago, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I I became loud about this uh, passion through a a content strategy on social, uh, through a podcast and through a newsletter. Um, And it started started, uh, last year, January. Then, you know, what happened, 2020? And actually, it helped me to... uh, to a uh, job because all my contract collapsed. Bref, it was the best moment actually to step out of my comfort zone because uh, actually I survived 2020. My business survived to, uh, to 2020 thanks to that. Congrats. So that's the good thing and um, it was very confusing to build everything uh, so fast um, and now I'm basically confused about my audience because uh, I, I raised attention, I got interest, I got engagement uh, but I would like to uh, put my business into a, another scheme and not really as a consultant now, you know, a daily rate and et cetera, et cetera, but uh, building something more um, more like a, a digital product, digital service. And uh, I'm confused about the audience because I have a very, very broad audience, not in terms of figures, but in terms of interest and profiles. And so well, voilà, that's my my challenge. I'm. I feel like uh, I'm. I'm getting there, but uh, I need. Uh, I need some help to uh, figure what I can do to understand better the audience I actually attracted with my content.
0: Thank you. I love the little French words here and there. Yeah, um,
4: <laughs> yeah, that's my other tongue as well.
0: <laughs> nice touch. Uh, yeah, it, you and I are in a very similar situation. Uh, we've done something very similar, and. Uh, Congrats on doing it! Congrats on, on on giving, giving, giving before expecting to take anything uh, in return. And uh, you should post your website in the chat once we're done because it's uh you have a strong uh, brand. Like you've built something interesting. I like the picture on it. It's it's yeah. nice. So congrats on doing this and and taking some fucking risks because that's what it takes. So yeah. how to create a product from the audience that you have? Um, you could stay in your head, you know, within your head and just. Think about it and get frustrated, uh, but I know you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You could ask people directly what you should sell. You shouldn't do that whatsoever. People have no idea. They Mm -hmm. are very good at telling the problems that they have. They can't come up with ideas yourself, so don't do that. Um, But I know how tough it is to try to read the label when you are inside the fucking jar, right? And I know what it is Mm -hmm. right so it's difficult my biggest advice my my the first step would be to remove yourself from your brand and treat your brand as a consulting gig and i know it sounds a bit weird but you are not your business and by removing yourself emotionally from it or trying to you're going to start seeing things a bit differently amelie the the cx specialist is not amelie the person this this is two different entities and by removing yourself like that i do that a lot it helps to see things a bit differently. That sounds a bit like a gimmick, so let me just go further. Um, I would select ten people who know you very well, so ex-colleagues, clients, people you have strong relationship with, and I would send them an email and ask them one question: What do you think is my unique ability? What do you think is the one thing I'm the best in the world at? Right? Mm-hmm. Weird question. You might sound a bit. It might be a bit uncomfortable. Please do it. You're going to be surprised. Even people who don't know each other, they are going to come up with answers that are very, very close to each other. Like you're going to see themes appearing just like that. That's going to give you two things, clarity and confidence. Confidence because receiving 10 emails back, of people telling you you're the best in the fucking world is awesome. Oh, okay. Clarity because you're going to start seeing the first parameter of what you need next, which is your unique ability, the strength. Um, the thing that you are very good at that people notice that you can use as much as possible without being tired, that gives you energy more than it takes you, and that you tend to improve on over and over again. And Then I would look back at all the projects you've done in the past, all the things you've been involved in, and try to look at threads as well, and applying the same process, what brought me the most joy? What are the things that I love the most? For me personally, when I look back at all the podcast episodes I've recorded, one topic just shines through, which is positioning differentiation. Uh, The project that I've worked for in the past, for example, with Hotjar, my previous uh, uh, employer positioning project was the one I liked the most. And you see, it sounds obvious from an outside perspective, but when you're in it, it's tough to see. So look back at that. And then... Then I would ask and send surveys uh, to your audience. Uh, I would interview them as well and try to do the same exercise I gave uh, a few submissions ago, which is rank them by joy, access, whether they can pay you. That's a very important one. Students can't pay you most Mm -hmm. of the time. Um, Whether they can say yes themselves, very important. If they have to ask for their boss for permission to buy something, not as good. And whether, um, whether they're in pain, whether they have the bleeding neck problem. And my advice to you would be then to pick a very narrow audience that fit this description and then build something for them first. Don't try to cover your entire audience with a product or service. Go very narrow. And again, to talk about my uh, example quickly, the reason why I built Stand the Fuck Out, the program, is because I've done this exercise and I've realized that business consultant, consultant like you, small agency, like uh, company founders, they have the most of this bleeding neck problem. They want to stand out, but they don't have a lot of resources, and the clutter is everywhere online. They can say yes, they don't need to ask their boss, and they do have cash, not a crazy amount, but they do have money to spend. And when you position it this way, you see it's, ob- it's obvious. But I had to go through that exercise myself to get clarity. So it's the intersection of the money you can make, the value that you have, um, the pain that they have, and your unique ability. The intersection of that should give you something very interesting, which is the thing that you're the best in the world at, that you can get paid for, that a few people will absolutely fucking love, and then you can move on to something else. Um, I'll shut up for a second. <laughs> ask you if that makes sense.
4: Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. Now I'm wondering how I can step out of this story to, to you know to look, yeah, to step back and look at it, uh, not being I'm mean, consultant, but i'm really, you know the consultant of myself that's a tough exercise that i guess i need to uh, give some thought about it except if you have a tip for that as well
0: <laughs> well it's it takes a bit of time it takes a bit of practice i do basically put it in my calendar as if it's another client okay my marketing and my work it's not all the time that i do this but when i feel a bit overwhelmed when i feel like you know i, I can't see the label anymore i step out and i say okay what does what would louis do you know and it sounds a bit stupid <laughs> yeah. but it does work, at least for me, uh, because it, it it's this alter ego helps you to to kind of um, dissociate yourself. So it's not easy. You just are not going to be able to do it just like that. But that's a little tip.
4: Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. To... It makes sense. I mean, I, I, it's the, basically the kind of work I do for my clients. It's just frustrating that I'm not able to apply all my methods on myself. Well, bref. I will.
0: Bref, I will... It's okay. It's normal. <laughs> it's normal. It's normal. Everyone. Everyone has this fucking problem, which is exactly why you know I went through it and so don't blame yourself for it absolutely it's absolutely normal that's how humans uh, are, are built uh, and so what you're doing right now is, is the right thing which is to reach out and seek help from outside because you can't do it on your own so sure. yeah. but you have the right mindset the right attitude take more risk don't be afraid uh, to to hear like people saying oh I'm not too sure whatever like follow the the, the, this butterfly feeling in your stomach, you know, when you have something, you're not too sure about shipping, ship this thing, you know, mm-hmm. don't dilute it, don't make the curry less spicy, fucking go for it, because what you need to fear most, and you know that, is obscurity, yeah. not being mocked, or being ignored, obscurity is the biggest fucking enemy here, yeah. which is why you need to stand the fuck out. Sure. Even more. <laughs> and I can see a lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of people have complimented you on your website. So, I wasn't the only one.
4: Ah, and so people can relate. Okay, all right. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Um, You're very welcome, and thank you for for submitting this. Um, Let me take a sip of tea again. And thanks, everyone, for staying and listening to my rambling. Only seven people left since I say that there will be profanity. So I love you all. Thank you for staying. The seven people uh we could listen to the recording after okay the fifth submitter, the 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 maverick that I want to call uh and and explain to us about their challenge is andre that's why i ask that's why I asked people to to tell me how to pronounce their last name Andre Scorstrow. I'm very sorry yeah. That's probably me. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm very sorry thank about you. butchering it. Um, so tell us about what you do, uh, who you are, and the problem you want to solve, please.
5: Uh, yeah. Th- thank you for this opportunity. Um, welcome. Yeah, my name is André from the Netherlands. Uh, uh, I organize uh, live events. So it's been a great year. Uh, <laughs> no, no. We organize organize uh, live sport events, and um, yeah, the. The challenge, the problem, we're, we're diving into our marketing plans now for the next few months. Um, but the, the challenge is uh, we, we we have a, g- a generic me- message, where, what our brand stands for. Um, we evaluated that from uh, some research. What we're thinking about, how can we um, adjust our messaging for very for people with various motivations who are doing our events? So, um, uh, I, I made an example. Uh, if you have, for instance, uh, a gym uh, where people go to sport, uh, uh, some people go there with a the motivation to lose weight. Other people go there to get buff, get, uh, get their beach body, and, and, and get strong and fit. And uh, maybe other people go there for social reasons. Um, so if you have uh, various messaging for the various parts of the audience, uh, how could you organize that in a way, or is, is that a good way, uh, without um, conflicting? For instance, if you have people who are only trying to get fitter, stronger, uh, and already have a good, uh, yeah, like, like you, who have a good uh, fitness level already, um, will they maybe disengage uh, if, they have, uh, if they see a lot of uh, ads or content about uh, weight loss, for instance. So cool. uh, I don't know if, if my question is clear. It does. So the problem
0: is really how do you message when you have multiple motivations, multiple audiences, or it seems like you have multiple motivations, and how do you make sure that people don't disengage if you tell them something they don't really care about? So the wrong solution there would be to kind of overthink the process. And be stuck and never really do it i know you won't do that Hmm. but there is a there is a tendency to do this another one would be to never test that thing right and to just assume that let's go for that and we never really look back at results i know you won't do that either um so i I think the the biggest thing here is to assume that people with a motivation don't necessarily have another one um i think the the belief that when you want to lose weight you don't necessarily want to gain muscle for example is probably a false one. So I would say that you're overthinking this a bit and I would give you uh, some pointers. Start at the beginning, meaning what is the very first thing you want them to do? I assume that once, let's say, they uh, they see an ad from you, you don't necessarily expect them to show up at, at an event straight away after. So what is the very first thing you want them to do? What is the very first step in the journey? If they don't know you, they don't trust you, how the fuck do you make sure that they hear a bit about what you are and what you do? And so sometimes it could be a very simple quiz, where you ask them actually before I tell you what we do. Tell us about you. What do you want to do? What is the biggest motivation that you have with the gym? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to whatever? So that that works quite well, right? You can do quizzes like that in order to before assuming anything, and and in return you can give them some sort of a free audit or whatever to say, hey, uh, you are over forty. You want to lose weight. You've had trouble with your food, whatever. Let us give you exactly the plan that you need for the next 30 days to do that, right? So that's an easy way. I mean, quote unquote easy. When I say easy, it's uh, easier. The other thing to do is probably to look at the proportion of people who do fit the category that you have and and actually prioritize. Is it actually 33%, like a third, a third, a third? Or do you have 80% of people who actually want to lose weight? That's the common thread. And do you have 80% of people who basically love you for the same reason, you know? then I would disregard the 20%. Yes, you could potentially miss out on a few people if you don't do it, but chances are that they will also like it, right? Um, And you know what? Since you're doing ads and you're probably on Facebook and all of that, like Facebook ads and Facebook algorithm does that almost for you. You test multiple messages and they automatically kind of show it to the right people based on interaction and engagement. So the algorithm kind of Solve it for you, you know. So I wouldn't sweat it necessarily this way. Um, And again, I would think about it from what I've said a few times already in in this call about the market. Who are really the ones that are the most in pain? Are they the ones who want to stay in shape? Are they the ones who want to lose weight? Who are those people? And then, based on that motivation, who tend like what is their demographic, right? And it could happen that depending on the motivation, their demographics are very different. If I want to lose weight, maybe I tend to be, I don't know, I'm coming up with shitty stuff right now. Uh, they might be female. They might be over 50, you know, they might live outside the cities, tend to at least. So you can see common trends based on motivation. And this way you can show messages to two different audiences that won't necessarily overlap. Right. So that's another possibility. Um, and finally. David was nothing without Goliath. What I mean by this is a common thread and something you can rally everyone around, no matter what their motivation is, is the status quo. The reason why they are in pain right now. What are you fighting against? What is the status quo that you want uh, them to fight against so that they go over the bridge, go to the other side? What is the old game versus the new game? You know? And that's a very nice way to kind of position things because you don't even have to explain what you do you just have to explain what you're fighting against, and people will infer uh, and, and, and kind of assume what you do in response. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
5: And, and if you would um, uh, would have to make a choice on a platform where you cannot target uh, various audiences, uh, for instance, if you would have to, have to, to, to boil this down to, to make a TV ad or, or an, an outdoor uh, campaign um, yeah, how would you proceed? Do you mean which channel to choose? Yeah, for, um, uh, if, if you have a, a platform where you cannot, like if you use mass media um, yeah. to promote, for instance, gotcha. the gym.
0: I would yeah. go for one message and I would go specific. I wouldn't try to dilute everything and plug all your message into one. Oh, we help you lose weight and then we also do this. No, I would pick the strongest. and would go fucking all in with one thing that is actually very specific because... Don't worry. You're not going to get emails or phone calls to say, I actually don't want to lose weight. Why do you have a fucking ads of people who want to lose weight? You know, it's just, that's, it's not going to happen. So go for the message that seems to work the best uh, on smaller tests that you've done. Go for the message that seems to stick the most. Go for the highest proportion of people like who want to do that thing and disregard the rest because you... um the more you focus on one thing, the more people will remember. The more you add new messages, secondary messages, the less people will process every message. So you have even less chance to be remembered and and, and seen. So stick to one thing and go fucking all in with it. That has way higher chance to succeed than trying to do like an ad with five different messages. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And thanks for for submitting this. Very interesting uh, business model as well. I wish you the best of luck with the current climate. I hope things will settle down quickly uh, so everyone can run in the mud again, because that's what you do, right?
5: Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. We're also looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you can bet.
0: All right, man. Thank you. Okay. The so Maverick and risk taker who submitted something is Hunter Moonshot. Hunter, are you here? Are you in the call? If so, can you unmute yourself? It's a shame if he's not here because that's actually a good fucking idea. Too bad. Okay. I have... So I'm going to move on to the next, but then we'll, I'll pick someone else who submitted something and I didn't email them, but I picked them. Um, just just why not? Um, okay, Adam. I know you're here. Adam Greco, can you unmute yourself? And... Hey, Louis. Hey, Adam. Good to talk to you again. So tell us... Who you are what you do and the specific problems you have please
6: yes thanks so much my name is adam greco i work for a company called search discovery and uh, we have created a software product that helps companies uh implement tools like adobe and google analytics faster uh, based on years, 20 years worth of consulting experience. And the challenge that I put to Louis is um, we're in a unique position that I think might apply to, you know, maybe some of you as well, where we're actually creating a new technology that doesn't really exist no one's ever done it's called an we call it an analytics management system and so the challenge i had for louis is uh, we don't have any competitors we're trying to do something that's never been done before uh, so far we've done all the traditional marketing things website you know webinars we do demos all that stuff but i always like louis ideas of things that are unique and different so my challenge is what do you do when you have nothing to compare yourself to and you're really trying to educate the market on something that they don't know that they need but you know that they need so that's my challenge
0: thanks adam very uh, nice explanation and and you were one of the first guests on the podcast a few years ago actually uh, I think in the first year of the podcast. So thank you for showing up again, uh, and submitting this. I love your question because it's about category creation, right? And, or, yep. or category design, which is a subject I love to rant about. I'm going to tell you why. Um, you know. This idea of creating a new category is is very popular right now. Even consultants, independent freelancers, want to create their own wares and their own category. Uh, because who doesn't want to be in their own blue ocean with no fucking sharks around them to eat them? They have the entire market for them and everyone comes to them. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, you can't, you don't have to compete against anyone. That's why it's so sexy, you know, category creation. So you hear the stories like drift, who, who created their own conversational marketing category, and they've raised $100 million to do that with a seasoned founder who has four exits uh, under his belt and connections and more influence than probably anyone else in the tech industry. It's easy to look at that and say, hey, let's do the same. Um, you can guess from my, my answer so far, I'm not a big fan of that approach. And the reason why it's usually it doesn't work or usually it's not the right fit is because most of the time category creation case studies are in fact subcategory creations or just subcategories in the in the book blue ocean strategy they mentioned this uh the french company called seb which which uh, created this air fry maker which used less oil than traditional fry maker but it's still using fucking oil it's not a new category it's a fry maker. Everyone knows what a fry maker is. And they lean on that existing category to create a subcategory to say, hey, you're going to get fry making you know, system, but just with slightly less oil, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing that, that, that is uh, happening quite a lot. And the other thing is it requires more time, more resources, and more patience that you can ever imagine. There's been a research done in the book, uh, mentioned in the book, Play Bigger on category creation. They said it takes around six To 10 years for a category to be created meaning for people to start understanding what it is start using the word start talking about it to their friends and whatnot so i'm not saying it's impossible but it's very difficult for a few more reasons but i'm not going to rant forever so my question to you would be are you on truth are you really true to yourself when you think that this is really a new software that doesn't exist no other companies have done that before there's no name for it or there's no subcategory that you can uh, fit into Um, are you sure that this is brand new right so that's the first uh the first question i have
6: yeah. we. I think we're closest aligned to tag management technology. So we've been kind of doing what you're saying is we've been saying we build upon tag management. And the okay. good story is that our company actually created a tag management system that was purchased by Adobe 10 years ago. So we have a track record of building technology that's been acquired. Nice. So so that's what we are have been doing is kind of saying this is uh, tag management 2.0, which I think does help people kind of understand. Yes. But being in the middle of the pandemic, uh, it is tough to have something that's a new product. In many cases, we actually wish and beg and plead that we would have a competitor because then, it's then people would say, oh, well, I need to have A or B. But right now, yeah. they're like, do I really need A if there is no B?
0: Okay, fantastic. So thank you for that. So yes, I would, I would suspect then that the game you're playing is a niche market game, and it's not really a new category game. So, But what I mean by this is that you are leaning against a category that already exists, which is stack management, but you're improving it drastically for a specific group of people. And I know I've been repeating myself uh, in the call, but that's what I would really obsess about. Mm -hmm. Who cares about this product the most? Who has a bleeding neck problem that you can solve? Um, Who has money to pay? Who trusts you? Who do you have access to? All of that questions like that's absolutely fucking critical to ask because the only way you can actually win is to really have this small minimum viable market associated with a category that already exists or subcategory and then the value that you provide and then things become a bit easier once you obsess over those customers so i would talk to the recent customer that you had from this tool and i would really make the list of like their wants their needs the triggers the the type of firmographics that match, are they business analysts, are they whatever, are they IT managers, whatever. And I would really then devise a go-to-market strategy just for them. I would forget about the rest. I would use a bowling pin strategy. You know, once you have that pin knocked over, then you can focus on the next pin. I would really say no to the rest and obsess over them. So who influenced them? Where do they spend their time? Uh, What do they care about? What are their problems? Do they discover this type of product on Google or whatever? My suspicion, excuse me, is that your market is actually probably folks who already use the tag management system, but they want something ex- uh, something new or, or something better for whatever reason, potentially. And so you can lean on that knowledge. Uh, when I was at Hodja, the positioning work that we've redone, we understood that nearly like more than 90% of Hodja users were actually using Google Analytics in complement. Mm-hmm. And so We position everything against that, saying, hey, yes, traditional web analytics tool, so like, like Google Analytics, uh, tell you a few things about your website but they can't tell you everything and they can't tell you what people really do on your website. And by leaning against that, that puts a frame of reference and it's much easier than quote unquote creating a new category. So I would do that, start small, interview those people and really devise a plan where you can be everywhere for that small market. It's much better to build fame inside of a tiny market than building fame in, inside of the analytics market, which is absolutely generous. So the first step is the most crucial, this crucial one. If you can nail that minimum viable market, things will, should happen in a much uh, better uh, way. And just a quick example as well, Nintendo, for example, started selling playing cards in 1889, more than a century ago. And when they launched the Nintendo Entertainment System a century after that, in the US, brand new market, People knew about video games, but mostly arcade games. They went and they didn't go full force into the US. They went to the to New York City, and they did a grassroots campaign there, and they um, they started there to test the market and then moved on. And this is kind of what I mean. If Nintendo does it, I think you can do it. So, based on what you said, it sounds like you're absolutely on the right track, and you have proven track record of having done that, and you're very experienced. Uh, I would even dare to call you an influencer in the analytics, uh, analytics industry. So I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll nail that. But yes, that, that would be my advice to you.
6: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Was it helpful?
6: Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right.
0: Thanks, Adam. Okay. So we have, I think, three to go. And we are... Yeah, we're on time. So David Fastuca... Are you here? Did you survive the hour so far? If so, please unmute yourself. If not, OK, you're not here. It's a shame. Shame, shame, shame. OK, moving on. The last one I had, and then I'll pick people at random answer questions. Richard, Richard Fairs, Richard, are you yeah. here? Hi, Louie. I am here. Good to hey, speak. man.
7: How are um, you? Hi- yeah, good, good. And hi to everybody on the call. Um, so mine's a little bit different. So, um, yeah, so I'm Richard Fares. I'm a, a marketer with 20 years experience, but I'm currently uh, out of work, um, having been made redundant in August. Um, so while I've picked up a couple of temporary roles and I'm very busy with homeschooling at the moment, i uh, I'm definitely on the lookout for the for the next kind of step in my career. So, so my challenge is how do I make myself stand out in a, in what is at the moment a very crowded market with lots of people in a similar position to me, I guess, and, and going for the same roles. And I guess connected to that, um, in this type of market and when you're trying to market yourself um, for jobs, how radical should I be looking to be? How radical can I be? And where can I kind of, I guess, what formats and what platforms can I use to, to, to get my message across and, and and help myself stand out?
0: Yeah, thanks, Richard. Where are you from exactly in the UK?
7: I'm living in London, uh, but oh. I'm from a place called Chesterfield in the north okay. of England.
0: Um, I've been living in Ireland for 10 years, and I'm only starting now to recognize different accents, British accents. <laughs> so yeah. anyway.
7: Mine's, mine's a bit different. <laughs>
0: Thank you for, for doing this. Thank you for submitting that question. Uh, sorry to hear that you've been made redundant and homeschooling plus job searching and all of that. I know it's, it's tough, so Definitely. I'll try to help you as much as I can. And, and hopefully, uh, folks in the chat might have other ideas for you because that's one of my favorite subjects as well. So the wrong, I believe, in marketing in particular, doesn't apply to other type of jobs, but we are marketers, aren't we? The more um, you can take risks, the better. And I know it sounds a bit crazy, but just like anything we talked about before, you need to fear obscurity. And as marketers, we must show that we are marketers. We are taking some risks. We are being creative. We understand our audience and whatnot. And that does apply to you. My advice, first of all, is to treat your job search as a go-to-market strategy. Your CV is long as fuck. You have plenty of experience. So you know your stuff. I would really treat that as a go-to-market strategy, meaning... Pick the market that you want to uh, to obsess over. I Meaning, what are the top 20 companies, top even like 10, where you're like you, you would dream to work for them. You love their product, you're already using it, or you've used their service before. You know they're good. You have friends who work for them; they're very good, or you admire them. I would start with that, you know, and then I would pimp the fuck out of your LinkedIn profile, right? I would treat it. As a page, as a landing page, I would remove uh, things that you don't want there. I would clean it up. I wouldn't necessarily focus on too much, you know, like anything. Uh, like I mentioned before, the more you st- uh, stuff you add, the less people will really pay attention to every single thing. So maybe remove stuff that you don't want to be there anymore. Craft your description so that you show that you can write, you know, that you show you understand people and whatnot. I'm really obsess over that. So LinkedIn is absolutely in our field a place to be. If you're listening to this recording in five years' time, maybe LinkedIn is dead, but for now, absolutely um LinkedIn. Um then you can create a landing page about yourself and a website, even and show what you're made of as well. If the industry you seek to, to be employed in is, let's say, a tech company, m- make it look like a tech website. If it's a, I don't know. If you're into fish and you want to fucking work for a company that sells fish, you know, you, you get the point. Um, show that this is, this is, you know, what you can do. The other thing is your portfolio. Show real fucking achievements and real fucking failures. That sounds a bit weird. I would go for radical authenticity and truth here. Show that you've learned from your own mistakes. There's too many marketing CVs that are like, I've single-handedly increased conversion rate uh, by 138.5%. Bullshit. Just tell us exactly what you've done. I don't care about that. Like I don't care that you've done this. I want to know what you've learned. I want to know the mistakes you've made and, and what you've learned out of it. You know, so it's tough to do, I know, because most CVs and most advice you're gonna read online are basically telling you to create a CV that looks like everyone else's, but I would beg to differ. If you want to fight obscurity, this is the shot. This is what I would do. And then I would go after the companies, but in a oblique way. I would identify folks that you can talk to inside and I would create a podcast, a newsletter. I would just interview them for the sake of creating content around the industry that you love and build relationship this way. And go at it in an oblique way. Don't say, hey, I'm looking for a job. Start by first saying, hey, I admire what you do at this company. I love what you do there. Can I talk to you for 30 minutes for a podcast? It's for a newsletter. It's for it's so that I can publish it on LinkedIn because I want to get visibility. Whatever it takes to get a foot in the door there because guaranteed if they like you you are very approachable guys, I'm pretty sure they will like you, they will in return ask you, you know, so what do you do anyway? And, and we're looking for this and, and they might talk to you about jobs that they are not advertising. So it's not a full foolproof strategy and it takes a bit of time, but I believe that's what it takes to stand out. Uh, other ideas would be to do teardowns or deconstructing strategies of companies that you admire and showing what you're made of, saying, "Hey, I seen you doing this, and this is what you could do." Whatever, um, I, I've hired people when I used to hire people. I've hired people who sent us 20-page reports on this is what I would do if you were if I was in your team. Now that sounds like free work, and I understand that could be a bit like that. You don't want to overwork yourself, but showing what you're made of, and 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 kind of solving problems in public like that is is critical. So. That's kind of overall what I have um, what I have for you in a nutshell.
7: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's good advice. And definitely the comments that you made about uh you know CVs being a standard format and everybody having the kind of increased ROI by X definitely resonates with me. I I, I even read my own CV and I think, yeah, I'm I'm not even interested in it myself sometimes. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, um, pimp the fuck out of your LinkedIn profile. I think, yeah, the, the, the what I found with the CV is that um, because a lot of recruiters are using automated systems, at least this is the advice that I've got, it kind of forces you into, into a know, standard yeah. plain format on your CV. So it drives right me insane. Definitely feels like LinkedIn is the opportunity to, yeah, be a bit more creative. And I yeah. definitely like your advice about, you know, using that as a landing page, making sure that you're, um, writing in a human way, I love your suggestion about talking about your achievements and failures and going going beyond the numbers. That's definitely great advice. Just just one question. Um, so in terms of the industries, um, yep. a bit of context is that I've spent, uh, I was at the, the company that I was at before for a, around, well, more than 15 years. Um, and I'm... I'm really open-minded about the industry that I want to work in and I know this sounds a bit kind of vague but it's really I, I wouldn't even mind if it was the fish industry yeah um, <laughs> but it's about the challenge and about the kind of marketing challenge that I would uh, yeah. face I guess going yeah. into it going into an organization so maybe maybe the answer here is well you need to you need to define what you want but at the moment I'm really open-minded about industries and really open-minded about companies so do you think that's okay? And if so, how do I approach that? Or actually, is it no? You've got to make your mind up, and you've got to say, okay, this is this is what you're after.
0: So let's take a bit more time. Usually it's eight minutes, but I, I really don't want to help you out. So uh, um, it doesn't matter the timer. So I, I think you do need to make some choices here. The fact that you are going to be very open-minded means that you're going to do you're going to write average stuff. Because you have to dilute it. it, it you to be what you're going to write for tech in, in the industry, or like, let's say you want to work with Adam Greco, uh, who's an anal- analytics superstar, let's say. The way you're going to write about analytics is not going to be the same than the way you're going to write about the fish industry. So like any go-to-market strategy, you must obsess over a specific market. It doesn't have to be one industry, but it, it, there needs to be a thread. If you yeah. don't, then the CV is going to be bland the LinkedIn is going to be bland. The podcast or the newsletter or whatever content you're going to show on LinkedIn is going to be bland. So, I think you can by taking like taking an Excel spreadsheet and writing down all the type of companies you like to work for. You you'll see a thread, and you need yeah. to make a choice. What is the exact role that you fucking dream about? What is the exact type of companies that you want to work for? Their size, their industry, and then pick twenty or ten to obsess over. Comment on their LinkedIn page when they will publish something. Comment on their Twitter identify their cmo or whatever and just like make connection with them it takes a bit of time but i and i can't say i guarantee it because i would be fucking false advertising and we don't do that but there is a strong chance that people will pay attention to you if you do it this way and the strategy here works better for for type of roles that are not advertised and that's one of the thing i've been working in the trade for not as long as you but for long enough to know that a lot of times we don't even publish roles. It's like, yeah. oh, I know this, this person. I'm going to tell them about it. And So there's a lot of under the hood, under the, the radar type of jobs that appear. And by doing that, you will catch them uh, before. Um, so you're going to have to take some risk when it comes to that. And the last advice I'm going to give you, uh, unless you have something else, is be afraid, uh, be wary of feedback you're going to get from people around you right? So you might do something a bit quote-unquote risky, you might feel butterfly in your stomach, and you might have people around you to say, uh, saying, are you sure you want to do that? Or they're going to be like, are you sure? You know, they're going to make you doubt it. <laughs> Don't listen to this feedback. You must ship that thing. If you dilute it, then it's just going to be like any, anything else. So I know it's a bit, it's a tough kind of uh, ask at the start at least, but it's the way to go, and that's the way to fight it. Uh, this is why you can't really ask customers for feedback too much about solutions or product. You must only ask them about prob- uh, problems that they have uh, themselves. People are very bad at giving advice on things that are already there and ready to go. So that's my last piece of kind of advice on this. Oh, cool.
7: thank you very much. Thanks for your time.
0: You're welcome, man. Uh, so if if there's anyone in the call right now uh, or listening to this recording, who are interested in, in Richard's skills, which I'm sure, uh, You could they could be. Uh why don't you pop your put your your email or or whatever in the chat and then and then maybe maybe people can get in touch with you if they need someone with a seasoned professional like yourself.
7: Yeah, will do. Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Um so let's see if Maya are you here still? Maya I can't pronounce your last name, Maya. are you here? She's not. Okay, I'm gonna get to my second, uh, the second pick uh, of of uh, of problems. Let me see who I have. I think Ben. Ben, let me try to find your last name, Ben. We talked before. You are in a for work for an ad agency or marketing agency. I've yeah, and me,
8: Katelyn <laughs> Richardson. And, uh, and
0: sorry, I, I just can't remember everyone's last name, but I remember. <laughs> you. No,
8: no, no, don't worry, don't worry. It's uh, better than Kately, which um, <laughs> you don't have a pet Kate, but So, I never <laughs>
0: mind. so um, we're gonna, you're gonna be the last uh, submission, um, and then I'm gonna do a few Q and A's. If you have any questions in the chat, please start to put them now, and then I'll review them. But Ben, uh, tell us. About you briefly and the specific challenge that you like to solve, please.
8: So I'm a copywriter and a campaigner, communicator, stakeholder, manager by trade. I've done several different roles in um, private sector and in public sector. And um, I never really understood strategy until I started my own business. And I was doing that for a while. And then I ended up meeting a company called Clear. And I work with Brand Clear now, and essentially what we do is take, um, take people who are in a similar situation to who you're talking to, but specifically larger businesses who have had a successful period of time. So they're maybe five to 10 years old. They are turning over over a million, but less than 25 million. Um, essentially, they've built themselves a reputation in a niche or in a local area. And um, they're ambitious and they want to go further on. I've started calling them the, the big fish in the little pond. And what we do is help them to craft a clearer message that they're able to go out to a wider market, still the same sort of target market, for a wider area. So to move from, for instance, in the UK, the East Midlands to the whole of the UK and take that quality and that reputation that they've earned and actually communicate it clearly. In a way that makes sense so it's positioning essentially much as you talk about and i have grilled you on this before (laughs) and you've uh, sent me a a response to it before but ultimately the decision that i have the challenge that we're facing is what to call ourselves and uh, much as other people have talked about and you've said before it's that challenge of seeing the label from inside the jar and it feels terrible that as a company helps people describe themselves clearly we struggle with it ourselves but it's true and we have that problem so um given that what we do is easily mistaken as logo or branding is mistaken as uh, logo design and web building stuff like that marketing is often mistaken for um you know facebook ads and google traffic stuff like that how do we communicate to people that they can get better marketing if they invest time in strategy, that we know strategy, and that we can help them take that strategy into a clear message to really have the impact that they want to have.
0: Thanks, man. So yes, one of the core challenges that you have is is this kind of do you create, quote-unquote, a new category in a sense, trying to come up with words that have never been together before so people understand it better? Uh, I I think in your situation, this would be a very bad idea. Everyone wants to be unique, and every company wants to have a positioning that is unique. Here is the difference. This is the key, and, and we are 84 people on the call. Please listen to this very carefully. It's not about trying to differentiate yourself from any other companies. It's about the intersection of three core components. The category you're in for you will be, like let's say, a brand agency. The minimum viable market, the market that you seek to serve, and the actual problem that you solve, the main thing you solve, uh, you help them solve, the value you provide. The intersection of the three is the radical differentiation. It's not one of those three, meaning you, you then can have a phrase, a sentence that says, we are the only category, so we are the only brand agency for that market and we, uh, to do this, or to help you solve that. That's how you nail radical differentiation for any market. The, this is the, the, the magic sentence. So the other thing I would say for you is um, try to get people who understand strategy then. You can't convince people to fucking give a shit about strategy. Very much like I, conv- I can't convince you to, to believe that marketing should, not, should be, you shouldn't lie to people to sell. If you don't agree with that statement, you don't listen to the podcast, you don't come here, I don't care but I want to talk to people who believe what I believe. So talk to people who believe what you believe. They believe the strategy is the very first fucking step towards creating a marketing plan, towards selling more. If they don't believe that, you're going to have to take the oblique long-term strategy, which is to educate them, educate them. Um, And it takes a long fucking time. But I can bet you that there are thousands, if not tens of thousands of companies in the UK alone who believe what you believe. Your goal is to find them. There is... I think 3,000 to 4,000 students every time for Mark Ritson's brand management seminar. <laughs> they all talk about strategy. He talks about strategy to be the first fucking thing. So it's not that you're the only one believing this. It's that I think you haven't found your people just yet. And I wouldn't try to sweat the details when it comes to trying to find words that explain what you do differently than anyone else. Like we are the only whatever. We are like a new, a brand new word to explain what you do. No, keep it simple To if you're a brand agency and this is the category that fits you the best, the box that fits you the best, then go in that box and say that you are the only brand agency that does this for that particular market. That's when you achieve radical differentiation. Um, something else that please you, Ben, and everyone else on the, on the, the topic. On uh, the topic. It's getting late. On the call. This is something I haven't shared before, and this is the way to try to find differentiation or to engineer differentiation in your own product or service. Okay? So this is the advice that I have for you. You must... So once you have a market that you're obsessed over, that you've identified, they have a bleeding neck problem, this is the problem that you have them solve. You must remove, you must first list down everything that is expected of a category, of this category. Meaning, if you're at a brand, eng- brand agency, list down everything that is expected of a brand agency typically. What do they do? Everything, right? What do they do? They tend to like, and go a bit in the your side. They tend to be late uh, when they answer calls. They tend to all wear suits. They tend to do a very good job on this, but not that. Use your knowledge of the category of the box you're in to our advantage. Ask your customers as well, what do you hate the most about our fucking category? What are the cliches, the things that you hate the most about us? in general. And then engineer something that is part of that box. So use that box as your, what you're leaning against, but then play within it. Remove anything that is a cliche that people fucking hate. Remove anything that doesn't solve the core problem. Simplify, simplify, simplify. That's how you reach radical differentiation, is by removing more than you add. Humans love to fucking add stuff. Remove as much as you can, because that's going to shed light on your uniqueness, and, and people will rationalize the negatives. Very much like there's a nice, very nice burger joint in in Dublin that only sells one burger. They don't sell chicken or anything like that. They have one burger, one drink. People rave about the positive. They rave about that burger and rationalize the fact that there's no other because they know it's so fucking good. And they can then deliver on the promise. They can dabble down on it because they get meat from the butcher, the freshest vegetable. By focusing on one thing so well, they can elevate it. And that's what radical differentiation is all about. So you lean on your market and ask them for you, what are the cliches? And then fucking remove everything that people expect that they hate about the brand agency and engineer an offering that matches, we are the only brand agency that does this for that particular market. And once you, does, once you do it, this is when you achieve it. And it takes guts. It's not easy to do, but that's when you know, the magic happened. Just a quick example on this. Um, My podcast, Everyone Hates Marketers, is the only marketing podcast. That's the category. Four people sick of marketing bullshit. That's the market. I'm the only one in the world who can claim this. It's true, right? And the differentiation doesn't come from just me trying to find a new category. No, I lean on marketing podcast as the category, but then I play with it. There is no ad in the podcast. I only ask one question at the start, and then we dive into it all in while other podcasts tend to talk about many different things and people don't listen to their guests. I can go on and on and on. So this is how you achieve radical differentiation. It takes a bit of practice. you must listen uh, to your to your to your gut and go for it. Don't listen too much to internal feedback as well. That's a mistake. People don't know what they want till you show them. So test it. you know put hundred or 100 pounds on a landing page with a new name or uh, the same name but the different service that is very much like boom. And test it, and if it sticks, boom, then that could become your core offering So there is a way to test it without taking massive fucking risk. Go small, but go all in, and you won't regret it because life is too fucking short to not take any risk. Um, finally, and sorry I picked on you, Ben, but I wanted to talk about this in particular. If you if you want to come up with ideas to like radically differentiate in a category and play with it, there's a few lengths you can use uh, to see um, differently. If your product or service was a caricature, how would it look like? That allows you to see the things that are like, to exaggerate and augment stuff and remove stuff. What are the luxury items, the luxury things that only a few elite have access to that you could give to the rest of the market? Uh, If your product or service was a cereal box, how would it look like, what would you say on it? That allows you to fucking simplify again, because you can't fit everything on a cereal box. how do you make it less fucking boring? you know? How do you remove things that are boring and just keep the what what matters the most? How can you add exclusivity or scarcity to it? You know there's one big pet peeve about agencies and brand agencies and consulting. every one of them say, book me for a free consultation of oh, thirty minutes. If everyone does that, play against it. Don't show the fact that, yeah, I, I'm available, you can pick on my calendar like for free, like that, no. Just, you know, maybe build scarcity on it and say, join the waiting list, and the next time I'll, I'll, um, I'll have an opening, I'll email you. This is the type of things that are required to go to the edge of the map, as Seth Godin would say, right? You need to go to the edge of the map and play with attributes in order to do this. So, that's what I have for you.
8: Yeah, can I just say that, uh, I don't know whether you saw it, but my head went at one point, and you've just helped me figure something out. So yeah that was massively helpful
0: thank you you're very welcome um and and it's 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 again the core thing about all of this so everyone listening right now is confidence it's all in your head you have the answers what i've told you for the last an hour and a half is nothing fucking secret on you no one is willing to to say because they haven't done the work but it's all a mindset you get addicted to this thing once you try something a bit risky and you're like "Ooh, i'm not too sure and you'll see people just like and comment and whatever you're going to be addicted to this it takes a bit of practice you're going to have to develop some taste around it uh, after experience you're going to start seeing okay mm, that 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 feels like that's going to work but it takes shipping you know it's like people asking me how do i find my voice You don't find your voice in your own fucking head. You ship, you ship, you ship. You see what people uh, uh, remember and stick to, and then you double down on that. Very much like I didn't engineer Bonjour Bonjour as my trademark, you know, starting every call. You, all of you remember that, and email me Bonjour Bonjour. So I knew that's something that that was uh, a, a sticky thing. I didn't come up with marketing bullshit or no marketing, no BS. You email me and, and review and saying like, I love your no BS approach. I didn't come up with that. So lean on your market. This is what marketing is. Your market has the answer. You just need to ask the right questions. Um, so let's fucking do this together. I hope that gives you the energy that you need to fucking radically stand out. Uh, let's answer a few questions if you, if you have any now. I know it's about a, uh, an hour and a half, but let's say until Let's give another 27 minutes to answer questions about anything that you want. I'm available uh, for anything. Uh, if you have questions about the program, stand the fuck out. You can ask as well. And I'm going to take a breath, and I'm going to stay and see who, wants, uh, who has questions. I got one if you, don't mind. Let's fucking go, Michael. Why don't you go take your breath and get a sip first? Yes, thank you. <laughs>
5: So while you're doing
7: that, so so talk to me a little bit more about the program. About you know, well, I'm a digital marketer. We own a company. We do digital marketing for other customers. Can I get value out of your program to help my customers, or is it really just for me and my company?
0: Thanks. Um, so I've actually I'm going to share. I'm going to show you something. So um, if you're not looking at your screen, everyone, please do. I've printed out. All of the interviews I've done on the podcast as booklets. So, those are all the transcripts. This is only 20 episodes, right? And I've made sense of it. I took one month off to build that fucking program, uh, rereading my books, taking notes, and whatever. The reason why I tell you this is um, this is not a brand new fucking system that no one has taught you before. It's just my own experience, the mistake I've made, and, and other people I've been influenced by and people on the podcast who are much Martin than me. And I've just put it together in an eight-step kind of way. And this is the beauty of it. You can use it for your own stuff, but you can use it for your own clients. And this is what I've seen on the first cohort. People have used it already for their own uh, clients. I, uh, we had the tech agency in, and they started to do it for themselves. And then they also started to sell the service for others. So yes, short answer, absolutely. And this is the beauty of it.
7: Okay, great. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Um, if anyone has any question, you can send it on the chat. If you're too shy, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Um, I'm going to actually go back and see if I can see any questions. Thank you for uh, folks who have actually wrote uh, written. one question, and, uh, Louis? Go ahead. Sorry,
9: a bit <laughs> of a delay. Arvind Bala uh, here in Toronto in the senior living space, uh, senior living sector. So. Um, I, I head the marketing and brand strategy for the organization. One of the challenges I'm grappling with is positioning when I know the product service, the brand experience is not there. So how do you tackle that? I know uh, it's, it's putting the cart before the horse, but wanted to get your insights into how do you position a product which is not ready?
0: So a product that is not ready or a product that is shit?
9: Uh, That is half-baked. It's not shit completely. We're in business, obviously, so it's not total crap. But it's really not 100% or where I would like it to be.
0: Okay. So the hard truth about all of this is that you can't radically differentiate without a good product that a certain group of people absolutely love. And for some fucking reason, marketing has become synonymous with promotion in the last few years. Marketing, the traditional marketing, the four pieces, product price place promotion promotion is only a quarter of traditional marketing definition so as marketers as brand like creators or whatever we must be able to influence the product as well we're not just there to fucking promote it once it's there so my Advice to you is find any way you can to influence that, to earn the trust of people who, can, uh, who are developing that product, to identify your market. Again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but it's absolutely critical. Identify your minimum viable market and make sure, get their feedback on it, make sure to know how to improve the fuck out of that product. Because if you don't have a good product, your job as a marketer is going to be very tough. So that's for the quote-unquote bad product. And I'm not implying that you have a bad product. I'm just saying we as marketer must influence that. As for a, market, uh, let's say a product that is not live, is, was that also your question or like that it hasn't been seen yet? Or
9: No, the product, product is live. Uh, I mean, I, I use uh, one of the phrases you'd use in, one, in your podcast. Marketing is not going to solve a product issue, product problem. So I use that very frequently and we're making inroads. I think my question is really, uh, and I got your answer already, uh, is that you need to first get the product right and make sure it's really ready for the market before you start talking about it because otherwise it'll be a waste of time for the consumer. So
0: it's a balance, right? Like it's a balancing act, and it's constantly like you're on this 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 very tiny kind of uh, rope and and you don't want to fall but you also need to move forward and you 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 need standards. So you, it's not gonna be perfect, but you need to agree on minimum the minimum standard, which is, that's why it's called the minimum viable product. It's not because it, it needs to be shitty, it's like what is the the the, the, the least amount we must do to create a, a, the right expense for the specific market. So and this is the trick. So you do need to ship to see what people think. You do they they do need to experience the product, but if they don't, and if it stays in your head and inside the organization for too long, then it's not good enough. So it's always, a, it's a very, very small margin. And with experience, which I'm sure you have, you can spot when it's not that ready, but you also need to force yourself to ship before it feels, you feel it's ready because you can't see the label from inside the jar and because you're not necessarily a good judge of your product anymore. You're too much inside it. You are what uh, Young Moon, who wrote the book called Different, you are a category connoisseur. Right? Which means that you know too much about your product to fucking see it for what it is. So, do you have ways to ship? You can do like fake door, meaning you have a page and you sell it and whatever, and, and they, they can test it, but it's actually not real. Um, you can do campaigns uh, where people can join a waiting list, let's say, and they, you sell them the idea of the product, but they can't see it yet but I would really favor shipping over obsessing over it must be the best. It must be perfect because you can't make a good product without having uh, people see it first.
9: Thank you, Louis. That was helpful. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Yes, the the chat, Ben is asking, will the chat be saved? Yeah. What I'll do is I'll send it as a link in the email tomorrow. With the recording as well as the chat, so you can relook at all your comments. Uh, so I'm seeing a question here. Akin duyo is asking: I'm a freelance content writer, and I would love to know how I can brand myself and get high-paying clients. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, how many how many hours do you have? So I think it's a similar story about like building b- building a personal brand, finding a job, and whatnot. Uh, the, the same advice I, I gave to Richard earlier on. Um, you first need to pick a market. If, you, if you're only new as a content writer and you don't have clients, then you must expose your work to as many people as you can because you don't know the ideal clients before you start working with them. So uh, I would disagree with the advice to say you need to go niche straight away. If you're a beginner, don't go niche. Um, explore things, see what sticks and what doesn't, and then classify your market in the four things. Like, do you, do you, do you really love working with them? Uh, do they love working with you? So joy. Do you have access to them? Is there like, are you admin of a Facebook group where you have all of those people in? Uh, do you have a podcast with this audience? Uh, do you have an actual pain or is it just a nice to have? And then can they pay you enough, right? So, And then I would obsess over that market give them value. And I hate this fucking word, which means solve their problem in public if, part, in, if you can. Do teardowns, show your work, do case studies, um, go on podcasts, things get easier in marketing once you know who the market is and i know i've been repeating that for the last hour and 41 minutes but that's absolutely fucking key if it goes if it's too too narrow or uh, too too wide you're going to really struggle you, you you'll do average thing for average people so the other thing is to not live in your own head for too long so ship stuff see what sticks be where people are and to get high paying clients your reputation will then start to to grow once you obsess over a market and become very good at it uh, but that takes uh, patience okay carolina messiah how can i position a product that was not created necessarily with the customer in mind but the other way around um
10: yeah, sorry
4: i i wanted to hi <laughs>
0: hi
4: i just wanted to give my um, some context because basically it's um i have a side project going on um where I try to give visibility to artists and their art pieces that are not working uh, with an art gallery. So by default, their art pieces are more affordable, not necessarily cheap, but more affordable. And yeah, in this case, the product is art pieces that are created by artists, not really thinking about the customer yes. necessarily or doing any research, but it's the other way
8: around.
0: Um, a very, very, very interesting question. In fact, in the first cohort of Stand the Fuck Out, we had... Um, um, a visual designer, like someone who was designing for video games, uh, Noel, uh, doesn't matter what his name is, uh, I can put you in touch. But anyway, he asked us a very similar question How can art solve a problem? How can it be a pain for someone else to buy? Love that question. So let's go into it. Um, it's not a um, a real need, it's a want. They want status. People who buy art usually want status. They buy a fucking painting so that they can put it in the living room so that they can show status to their neighbors and their friends and say, hey, I'm into art. Are you? Right. And I can I can bet that you can find folks who can't wait to show who they are and increase their status or so their their perceived status to others. Um, by giving them pieces of art that look fucking good, where they can tell a story around it, because they also want that. You know, it's not just a painting; it's a story they don't want to tell around it. Why did they pick this one? Oh, it reminded me about my childhood, and look how beautiful it is. And, you know, I think I think status is very important in in your particular uh, area. And I'm making guesses here, but I would also recommend you to talk to people about and and try to dig into that. Not as easy as B2B problems where people say, "Well, I need it." to get invoiced on time or whatever the fuck. But if you dig enough, you, you, I think you'll get back to the very emotional need of status. That's a universal need that humans have. And so how can you then target folks who do have that need? And again, don't try to convince people that art is a necessity uh, for people who don't believe that. It's not for everyone. It's for people who believe that art Is the way for them to be perceived as, you know, um, someone who knows their shit, but they don't need to pay fifteen grand or hundred grand uh, to increase their status. They can pay two hundred pounds or two hundred euros. If I remember seeing your website, it's it's not that expensive.
10: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Does it make sense?
10: Yeah. Thank you so much. Very helpful.
0: You're welcome. Okay so yeah I I'm sorry I'm I'm overloading you with information but this is the beauty of a, of a recording so please re you listen back to the bonus episode on the podcast or uh, and and like anything you need to listen into a few times to pick up uh, everything this is why I watch the TV show Fargo maybe once every 6 months to make sure I I re- rewatch it because it's such a fantastic fucking TV show um let's see Shintan, sorry if I'm pronouncing your first name badly. I'm 22 and entered this tech marketing industry seven months back, so very early. Uh, what should what should be skill set? What should be a skill set for ideal marketer? In other words, what Louis will see when he has to hire someone? So I have stopped hiring people, and that's the first step. Uh, in India, some reason marketing equal digital marketing, running ads. Yeah, um, everywhere, not only in India, marketing equal promotion for people. So. I think you need to think back about yourself, what gives you the most energy? What are the things that you really love doing and you don't realize it's work? What are the, the type of people you like to, to work around? And I would switch and then I would think about, who can you uh, give to? Uh, I really believe in that. If you really switch your mindset to, "How can I help as many people as possible in the deepest way possible, you'll start doing marketing without realizing it. How can you be generous with your time and, and energy? Um, the fact that you're already on this on this on this call means that you are probably smarter than average. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I'm joking. Uh, the fact that you're on this call is means that you believe in what we believe, which means that we don't have to fucking say bullshit to sell. We can be honest and generate uh, sales and 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 pay ourselves a salary without uh, fucking with our uh, beliefs. And so we believe the same thing. I mean, seven months in the industry is. You know, I can think back when, when I was only seven months in, you have a lot of energy, probably a lot of ideas. So op- open your mind to all of those, those type of um, scenarios and, and, and stuff and, and try to really follow that energy. And I know it might sound a bit stupid and, and fluffy, but actually knowing what gives you energy versus knowing what, what sucks energy out of you is, is a very important metric. And this is why I'm on this call. I can do that for 10 hours nonstop because I fucking love it. And you need to kind of follow that. So seven months is very... It's very early, I think, to have, to have that knowledge. But soak up as much knowledge as you can. Listen to all the episodes on the podcast. Follow the people that I've invited on the, on the, on the podcast. And start being very cognizant of that. That would be my advice. OK, we have 13 min- minutes left for anyone who has any question. Please go ahead. Trying to look back as well because there's a lot of fucking comment.
10: Can I jump in if, if uh, recruiters aren't more annoying than marketers?
0: I don't know that. I don't know. Like maybe you need to start. Everyone hates recruiters as well.
10: Yeah. <laughs> so can I go?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course.
10: <laughs> cool. Um. So love your stuff about around content by the way. Like that's the direction I want to go in. Um. But yeah. So I I can sell to hiring managers. Um, who are technical, I recruit in the AI space, Um, but I can also sell to HR managers or internal recruiters. Typically, HR and internal recruiters are targeted to not spend money on me, Um, but I'm a specialist in my field. So how do I go about sort of saying, you know, I can recruit these people faster, better than than your current methods but without necessarily bringing that up because everyone's part of the same company you don't want to put someone else down um so i just i just don't know how to position that pain if you know what i mean there's a hiring manager say they've not been able to find someone for six months but they've been told they can't spend any money on external agencies like how do you you mm-hmm. know rub salt into that wound without being rude about hr
0: so you've waited one hour and 49 minutes, me being drained to ask the, one of the trickiest questions uh, you could ask. Thank you. Uh, interesting one. So let me rephrase to make sure I understand. You, you would compete with people inside the same company in a sense. You would basically compete yeah. against internal resource like hiring managers who quote unquote fail to do their job and you do it better.
10: Yeah, so there might be um, a technical hiring manager and they want to work with me, but the internal recruiter doesn't want to work with me. And I'm working with someone who's targeted to do the opposite thing, basically. So it's always difficult in that sense.
0: Who's Who tends to recruit you then, to, to hire you to, for your job?
10: Um, so startups, it might be a CTO or CEO or something like that. Um, large organizations, it will always have to go through HR, um, mm-hmm. so internal recruitment even if the hiring manager or the director of AI wants to use me, it has to go through HR first. So and yeah. They and
0: the, they're usually a blocker. Yeah. So uh, who, between the two, between startups who don't have hiring managers and, and bigger companies who do, uh, which one do you prefer to work for?
10: Startups who don't, have a, who don't have HR and all that.
0: Do they have enough money to pay you or is it a bit trickier to be paid properly by them?
10: scoping out their investment and is, a, is one of the things i have to do i guess but yeah it's it's riskier i guess but i've never had someone that didn't pay me
0: okay well, that's a good sign so my, my advice perhaps and i know it's easier to say that from an outside perspective my advice perhaps would be to really work and focus on a market that really loves what you do and where there is no blocker inside the company where it becomes a bit, of a, a bit more of a struggle um because you will always face a uphill battle. People will protect their ground, and be seen. You will be seen as a risk. You'll be seen as a threat, even to them and to their livelihood, especially in this current climate. Um, so, if they have money to pay, startups have money to pay. If they understand what you can do for them, I would probably double down on that. And you're already quite niche with AI, which is wonderful. So that means you can really be the only AI recruiter or recruiter for startups in AI. And you don't even need to, uh, you could you could add something else. You can add like a, you, a guarantee or something to make it even more specific. This is what I love about specificity is you can really make it, what is the unique thing that you do? What is the little quirk or the thing that tends to happen thanks to you that you can, you know, s- specify? Uh, is it that you guarantee to get a candidate within three weeks? Is it that you do it under whatever, you know, like what is the little Thing and again, that requires a bit of taste and experience, and it's not as easy as it seems. But by interviewing back your recent customers, you will find those type of nuggets. Pay particular attention to what people tell you, uh, the words they use when they describe what you do, why they love you. You should find something. But yeah, again, from an outside perspective, my advice would be to double down on companies who love you and where there is no threat internally. We can sabotage you.
10: Thank you so much.
0: Does it make sense, yeah?
10: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank Thank you. you.
0: Thanks. Uh, So David has a question. Uh, What if we do all a really good job and marketers become better and then nobody hates marketers anymore? Will I change the brand's name? Very insightful question. I won't, do you know why? Because new people come into the market because Neil Patel is still there to lie and and tell you bullshit. So don't worry, uh, Gary V is also here to hustle you. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone will hate Marketer for a long time. So I'm, I'm pretty sure my company is safe. We have seven minutes left. So if you have any questions, fire away. Don't be shy. We're going to have to put people on the spot.
1: Hi, Louis.
0: Hi.
10: Hi. Um, so kind of similar to what uh, Chin Tan was saying and kind of Richard earlier on as well, um, I'm a second year undergraduate doing marketing management and I'm currently looking for a placement role. So my, can- my question is kind of how to make myself stand out when in able to learn the skills and get the experience I need without having kind of Richard's 20 years experience prior. How do I go about selling the skills that I currently do you
0: have to gain the ones that I want uh so th- thanks for asking this question. What's your name again so I didn't catch yes hi uh, good evening or good morning or afternoon wherever oh. you are um so congrats on studying marketing um thank you uh i know it's it's a it's a nice field when you are surrounded by the right people uh, just like right now so thank you for paying attention and, and all of that so um it's very similar to Richard's, to the, to the advice I gave to Richard. Um, and it's a belief of mine, you can disagree with this. You can go the traditional route and compete with all of the other students who are graduating every year in marketing from different university, and have this mindset of expecting people to pay attention because, you know what, I graduated, so pay attention to me. I paid so much for this fucking degree. You better fucking hire me. But guess what? Everyone else is in the same situation than you, right? So... I know that's a normal mindset to have. My, one of my younger brother has that sometimes, and it's normal to think this way. I don't blame you for thinking this way if you do. The other route is a riskier route on paper, but it's actually not. Uh, it's actually the less risky because if you don't take risk, you're going to face obscurity. If you face obscurity, it's going to be tough to stand out. So you must take some risk, and you don't need to have 20 years of experience to have a lot of skills. Um, I would suck up everything you, everything you can learn. I would spit it out in some ways. Whatever books you read, summarize it, post it on LinkedIn. Whatever podcast episodes from Everyone Has Marketers Only, uh, you listen to, summarize it, connect the dots, you know? Creativity is not coming up to something new. Creativity is connectivity. You connect things together. You just, oh, I had this experience and I read that in a book. Boom, put that together. That's a new piece of content. So don't sweat the, you know, th- th- those type of This thinking, it's not about being creative from scratch, it's about connecting stuff together. And don't be afraid of just putting yourself out there. As marketers, we must show our skills. And it doesn't take long sometimes to know what type of post on Instagram works or what type of post on LinkedIn works or whatever. Um, Another thing, another advice I would give you, and not only you, but everyone else on the call, is to have a swipe file. That saved my life more than once. You don't need to come up with stuff on your own screenshot everything that you like online, pay particular attention to ads that you pay attention to. Have you ever bought a product from an ad before? Uh, then screenshot that ad because it worked. Uh, screenshot like, I don't know, magazines, ads, or or just a LinkedIn post or Instagram or whatever. And then when it comes to trying to find new ideas, you just look back at that and say, oh shit, I could do something like that. That's how I came up with this. I mean, it's from Hilary Weiss, who's a messaging positioning expert as well. And she talked about that and I didn't I just told that idea you know that's it I'm not trying to say like I'm come up with any new idea no so try to share problems in public um, the fact that you are a graduate doesn't mean anything in terms of your knowledge um, you can be very fast at making sense of the world and books and resources so um, show yourself take some risk don't necessarily do a CV like everyone else's identify a few companies you love to work for contact them um, like show what you're made of because in our field in particular, I'm not talking about like mechanical engineering or obscure field. in marketing, we must show that we can market. And this is a nice exercise as well that you can do um, to show your skills. So again, I know it's not easy. I know it's not necessarily the advice that you want to hear because it takes a bit of time, but you're going to learn so much from that process that I think it's going to be beneficial to you. So does it make sense? Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you very much,
10: Louis.
0: You're welcome. Uh, Stefan said about the dig on Neil Patel and Gary Vee. What was it about? Don't hate the players, just hate the game. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I I sleep. It's like an hour fifty eight minutes of us together. So I I just I just didn't have the mental strength to stay true to my to my principles. And I think that's a lesson for everyone. Like yeah, I'm not perfect. And so yeah. I might say stuff that I regret after. Do I regret this? No, I don't. Um, am I going to share the meeting? Yes, so I will, again, the recording, the two-hour recording will be sent to you tomorrow over email. If you have any questions about it, if you have any question about Stand the Fuck Out, uh, the eight-week program, um, please let me know as well. I'm going to post uh, the the uh, the address here again, and then I'll post it in the... I'll post it in the email. You can reply directly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it sounds like I should do that a bit more often. I don't want to do it too often, but it sounds like that's something I should do um, because it it sounds like it's been valuable. So I might organize something else soon. Uh, thank you for all of you who stayed in for so uh, so long. Thank you for submitting all those things. and Thank you for our question. Thank you for paying attention, for listening to the podcast, for years, for a, f- a few of you. Um, yeah I love you I shouldn't say that but I do Uh, thanks for paying attention like it means a lot to me I know it's a tough fucking year um, tough few months but we've got this and let's let's fucking do this let's take some risk and let's let's be seen au revoir au revoir as we say thanks Louis cheers Richard take it easy